Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome everybody to episode nine. Yeah, I think yeah, that's I right. Think so. Yeah. Nine of Uncommon Deeds. Thanks, everybody, for joining us once again. We are recording this on Wednesday, so two days before it drops on Friday. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, a bit of a a rough day for you today, Justin. Yeah, the last couple of days kind of sucked a little bit. Um, Matt Billadu, one of our racers at Devil's Bowl, uh, uh, lost his life uh, working at home and uh, just a, it sucks. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but uh, he was just a great guy. And actually his, uh, his company, Black Diamond Builders is working with uh, another company, Friend Construction here to work on my kitchen at the moment. Um, and then Matt was a huge part in, in all the renovations that we're doing at the house. So I, uh, you know, it's not about me, but, I, I got it on both ends, um, you know, with the house and with, with racing. So it, it, it hurts a little worse. Um, but, uh, it's just a, I mean, the nicest person in the pit area and, uh, he's got a wife and two little kids at home and, you know, a whole, a whole racing community down here is, is hurting. And, um, yeah, just, Glad to have the time that I had with him. Thoughts and wishes and all that to uh, to his family. And like you said, that just really sucks. It sucks. But um, we got some plans in place at the racetrack. And um, we're going we're gonna to do right by him and by his family. And, um, yeah, he was, he was going to be part of the rookie battle this year in our, in our sportsman class. And uh, we're really, really looking forward to that. He won the last race of the year in our uh, limited sportsman division and was moving up to the big guns. And um, we were really excited. And we still are about the, the rookie of the year battle at the track this year. But uh, unfortunately, Matt's just not going to be part of it, um, at least on the track. So what are you going to do? But uh, great guy and just... Some, some, some of them you just can't explain. You can't find a reason. Um, and this is one of them, but. And there oh is well. zero easy transitions from that topic to another, no. but you kind of brought it up and you, man, you are on the, uh, you're on the eve of racing season, actually kind of, kind of starting yeah. for you. Yeah, we are. Um, our first practice, uh, this show will be out on Friday the 9th. Uh, so we're a week and one day away from our first scheduled practice session. Then we open on May 1st. So it's, it's crunch time, which means our recording schedule is going to get a little crazy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and you know, I've on, on Thursday nights, um, we've got the Facebook live show that we do for devil's bowl too. So, um, things are starting to happen here, but, yeah, uh, and I, uh, I crank back up at the golf course on Monday. Yep. So that's right. it is, it's going to be a little more interesting and slightly less convenient. You got some work in today too, from what I understood the last couple last of days. Last couple of days. Yeah. Doing a, uh, 
new swing set with attached tower mm. treehouse with a big slide and and uh, I think the instructions said three people like four and a half hours yeah and I am uh I am about at least ten hours in by myself. And the f- day one went pretty good and got the entire swing and the shell of the tower up. And the kids were swinging last night and they were very happy. And then today I was like, cool, I just got to bang out the rest of that tower. That'll be super easy. And then it was just ridiculously tedious. I feel, I understand we need safety, but I feel like it's a little overkill with the amount of bolts <laughs> I've had to put in on this thing. It's it's crazy. And then trying to put the stupid roof of the treehouse tower together, I spent probably about two hours combined throughout the day. A, can't you just put a tarp over it instead of... I would th- think for, so. Uh-huh, well. But you pay enough for the stupid thing. Yeah, you might as well use it. And literally the better part of two hours throughout the day working on trying to put that stupid roof together. And I was... Seeing myself get increasingly short and snippy with the kids, with everybody, and I found myself cursing a lot to myself out loud, and I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to walk away for the evening. Hopefully this is get not a your decent, fault, but go away. Yeah, hopefully get a somewhat decent night of sleep. Yeah. take Drop the twins off at preschool in the morning, so I'll only have one kid probably asking me to swing while I'm trying to put stuff together. <laughs> Hold and then hopefully yeah. finish it tomorrow. But uh, yeah, that has been my last couple of days. And shockingly, after a somewhat quiet winter in terms of physical labor, after two days of putting together this giant swing set by myself, which included at one point getting underneath and moving a 14-foot trampoline just on my back because I was <laughs> by myself. So there's a great story that you told <laughs> a couple of days ago about that trampoline. I think the I think our listeners want to hear this story. Oh yeah. About how we, that trampoline uh, got to your house. We got the trampoline for free <laughs> from our friends who live about a half mile in a straight line away from us. Maybe a little more than that. Right around there. And they just called us one day. It's like, hey, I know you said you wanted it. Today's the day you need to get it. And we're like, what? <laughs> Don't worry. My dad's here with his trailer to help move it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I get there, and it's still completely standing up. It's completely put together. The net is up and everything. And I'm like, very confused. <laughs> and in the uh, front yard is a truck with a lawnmower trailer on it. And... Like six by six, you yeah. know. Yeah. And this trampoline is I don't think it was six feet twelve wide. by twelve. <laughs> it was like six feet by maybe four feet. Oh good. Trailer. Just wide enough for one leg of the trampoline. Took the net down and lifted it over the gate around their house. Put one leg in the back of that trailer, then three of us walked very slowly behind the truck carrying this fully put together installed trampoline down church road in Colchester. 
across Church Road. We didn't go down oh. Church Road. We got, oh, okay. Because it was off the side street, just off Church Road is where they live. So we only had to cross Church Street. Then we went through a cemetery that's behind the house. Because <laughs> we were going church. straight, straight line. Straight With the trailer? Line. With the trailer, truck, you drove everything. through the cemetery. Yeah. We went around to the outside, you know. Well, that's nice. want to be respectful. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and it was the only place you could fit. <laughs> the 14 feet wide trampoline mm-hmm. and managed to get all the way through the cemetery and around. This wasn't on a Sunday, was it? It was During not. Service? It okay. was not. Managed to get all the way through and to the fence that separates the cemetery from a, from our backyard and then wheeled somehow the 14 foot trampoline over the fence <laughs> to the other side. And that is how we got our trampoline. What a show. Yeah. But, yeah, so I had to move that. I moved that by myself. better enjoy this. Yeah, Yeah. I moved that by myself. Just getting, (laughs) crawling under the trampoline and learning that there are animals that poop under there. Oh. Did not step in it, but I did notice it. Springtime. Just crawled under the trampoline, put it on my back, and managed to lift it and move it enough to create a little bit of space. Then I had to move the tower by myself on my shoulders and my back and surprisingly little little uh feeling it a little bit here tonight <laughs> all because i am stubborn and i do not like to ask for help uh, and also very competitive and if i can do it myself i like to be able to brag that i did it myself this is a great segue because speaking of stubborn and competitive yeah. guess who we've got for a guest today Dwayne Lanfear oh boy and we had talked about it talking to Dwayne for quite a while when we started this and by happenstance I have a friend who knows Dwayne which I didn't know at the time and my buddy Dan shout out to Dan Judkins hey Dan who, who set it all up he just texted me he's like hey enjoying your podcast I'm like that's awesome and he's like oh Dwayne thought it was hilarious all these people are talking about him and then like goes after yeah. after the Moody episode, I think he came up, or maybe it was Tracy's. It might have been Tracy's, and uh, I'm like, Dwayne, who? And then I figured out, wait a minute, Dwayne Lanfear? He's like, yeah. I'm like, and I was just like, tell him we want him on the show, <laughs> like right now. <laughs> and he was seemed super excited about it, and we were able to set it up. And really appreciate the time. And we figured out Zoom, you know, tip of the hat to whoever helped him on that end because he had not used Zoom before and hopped right on. You know, I think he figured it out. Yeah. Either way, whether he figured it out himself or got help from maybe his son or his wife, tip of the hat. Well, but he had to figure it out in the middle of the show, too, because it actually everything froze up on us. In the middle yep. of the interview. That's the first time that's happened. And in true Dwayne fashion, within 15 seconds of us connecting on the Zoom, not recording for the episode, but mm-hmm. when we just connected all in the room, Justin was here at my house for the first time. Yeah. We recorded in person our last this week and next week's episode, and it was very exciting. But within 15 seconds of connecting, he took a shot at both of us being bald. Bald, yeah. 
The first things he said were, it was like, wow, it was not like, a lot of hair on that end. Yeah, he was like, I was like, Dwayne, how are you? And he's like, good. Not as bald as you guys, though. I was like, oh, good. That's, here we go. <laughs> That's Dwayne. But he is a great guy, and I think very misunderstood or properly understood, depending on who you are. <laughs> but a lot of people, especially maybe if you're but maybe the closer fans. to my age, maybe a little younger, you just kind of remember 2000s and later yeah. is probably a little more wild and crazy, Dwayne, and they don't realize the success that he had at the end of the 80s, 90s, and he racked up some pretty significant titles yeah. and wins and um 89 state champion 90 uh flying tiger international series champion which is now has become the tour the late model tour then 91 king of the road i mean bang 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 and he almost won the airborne championship in 92 i mean the guy's good super good and told some great stories when you listen to the uh wednesday teaser videos we put out at least we try to every week hey and shout out this week my first successful scheduled facebook post that actually yeah, worked um usually we have a moment that pops when we're recording hotel we'll use that for the tease and Dwayne gave us a lot of options in this yeah. podcast <laughs> yeah a yeah. lot of really good stories and a lot of colorful stories so mm-hmm. much like we did with uh, our two-parter with Brian Hoare, we will let you know that if you are listening with your kids and you don't want them to hear any naughty language, this might not be the podcast to listen to them with. Yeah. This one may not be too much of a surprise, I would think. Right. I'm not saying surprise, but <laughs> maybe for some of our listeners who – aren't as familiar with Dwayne. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I even dropped an F-bomb, but I was quoting Dwayne. Yes. Yeah, it uh, happens. There's some colorful Dwayne quotes. That's good stuff. And there are All in this as well. So without further ado, let's get to the real reason that you guys are listening. And that is for Justin to introduce today's guest. One of the most polarizing figures in the history of Vermont stock car racing the 2001 Milk Bowl champion, uh, King of the Road, ACT International Series champion, Vermont State Championship in 1989. The guy has done it all, and uh, he's brought a lot of smiles to a lot of faces, and he's made a lot of people not smile. We'll just put it that way. We'll get there. Uh, Dwayne Lanfear, welcome to Uncommon Deeds, and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to join you guys. I've been enjoying your show. Well, we, we, uh, we've really been talking about having you on as one of our one of our first guests before we really get this thing off and rolling because we just how could you not have Dwayne on the show right that is true yeah and it just so happened mutual friend my buddy Dan texted me one day he's like oh Dwayne thought it was hilarious I'm like what are you talking about and then I figured out that he was talking to you it's like oh see if he wants to be on the show yeah (laughs) save some of the legwork of tracking you down yeah uh, so we're curious, how did motorsports come into the, uh, the land fears? Cause it seems like it's been a, a family business. It started 
actually with my brother in 1984. I think he, that would be his senior year in high school. He bought Guy Brown's old Falcon. 49 was the number of Guy Brown. That's how my brother ended up with the number 49. So he bought that in 84. And he raced with a bunch of my cousins and, you know, a whole crew. They didn't, they didn't know shit about a race car. So then my father and myself, we never went. We're on the farm. And uh, so I would have to say somewhere in that 1984 season, Norm Andrews was having his yearly issue with Curly. He goes to Tech. And Norm's car ended up in about 50 fucking pieces in different parts of the state of Vermont. So he's pissed off. So in the middle of the night, my brother calls my father. Norm wants to sell a car. So we buy the car in the middle of the night in 1984 at some point that summer. We spent a week chasing parts to Norm's car to put it back together. Early had them scattered all over at different people, Tekken, you know I mean, so that's how we got into that. So then in 1985, we took the Falcon, and uh, Norm went all through it. He goes, that's a goddamn death trap. He welded it all up and shit. I go to Catamount, my first race, ass over tea kettle down the back stretch, corner to corner. I end up in Bronson, broken ribs. I mean, really? that's how I kind of started. Was that your first your first try in a car? Pretty much. I don't recall if I'd gone to Thunder Road with it. I just, I think Catamount was pretty much my first. It was first or second go, and I ended up ass over tea kettle mm. at at Catamount. And I, I mean, I don't know if you can see that. So that's down the back stretch of Catamount. The dust is flying. This is the old piece of shit Falcon. Hold it up a little bit for us. There you go. That's it landed on its wheels, and I just wanted out. I mean, that's when the dust was flying and shit. <laughs> so you must be thinking, what have I got myself into here? I mean, I liked it. I mean, we were learning, so we got rid of that car. Norm ended up building me a new car. And that's how we kept going. And then I think in 80, 86, I think my brother built Norm a car and he won the Thunder Road Championship yeah, in one did. of our cars, Norm did. So we've had a you know a long thing with Norm and we just kept going from there and learning. I mean, we my brother would build the cars, my father would build the motors, I and mean, we did everything. We just learned ourselves. Try not to listen to too many people. I think we learn more trying to do our own thing. It might not have worked. It might not have been right. But to me, at the end of the day, I think it was right. I mean, I had a pretty good career. This is back in the uh, 80s with the Flying Tigers, where they're the only division at Thunder Road. There's 50 of them every week. The big right front tire, the slick sticking out the right front. Some of them were pretty ugly. Double features. Oh, yeah. A mains, B mains. I mean, yep. it was just a thing to get caught. And, you, and it was high handicap. Yeah. I mean, you, you were a point leader. You knew you were in the fourth heat dead last. So, I mean, every week you had to earn 
everything. But, but I think that made us a racist in that day. Was it ever frustrating knowing that you've got an uphill battle no matter what? To be honest, it never was because I don't know why. We figured it out. You know, it was the leaf springs with the big slick. We I just had a fast car every week. Jump to the outside and go. I mean, the only frustrating part, probably when I first started, was the the generation before me, the Clem Despo, the Bootsy Boys, and that. It, it, it's kind of like you pick on the young guy. Well, they learned after a little bit that when I stuck them in the infield a few times, each one of them individually, that I weren't going to take their shit. Was that? So, all right. So you're the, you're the Thunder Road bad boy. That's how everybody knows you now. But back then, was it was it out of necessity? Like you kind of had to to hold your ground, or did you say, you know, screw these guys, I'm going to go after them? Um, a little of both. Because I mean, they would they push you around and stuff, and if you didn't push back, I believe they would have kept pushing. So I mean, I, I would say a little of both. Did you know Norm Andrews before you got into, you know, buying cars for him and or from him and, and building cars for him? Or was it just you met him at the track or was there a relationship there? Didn't know him until after my brother made that deal in the middle of the night of 84. And we've been friends ever since. We go, go to his shop and built the cars. And then we built, my brother built one and Norm drove for us. So it's been a it's been a long relationship between us. Mm-hmm. How important was it for you guys to have been able to do, like you said, everything in house? Whether it's your brother making cars, your dad's working on motors, everything was you were able to do with your own hands. Was that vital for uh, you guys to be able to continue to do it? Yeah, very important. I think. I mean, back in them days, you know, when you go to the junkyard, you cut a body off. That's how you got your body parts. You didn't you didn't go to the store and buy them. I mean, we all did that. So so the car that I won most of my championships and that stuff, my brother built and boy, I'm I'm bad with the years, but he drove it one year. We built the whole car, built our own motor for forty five hundred dollars. And um, that's the car that I did most of my winning and stuff with. And I, I might be wrong, but so at ACT had a book in 1992. I mean, all the racing stats. I don't know if you, have you guys ever seen this book. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I think to, to this day in the Tiger Division, I'm the top money winner. I don't know if it's been recalculated. I beat Steve Miller by $300 for, <laughs> for top money winner. Back then, you didn't have much in it. Championship five thousand dollars. You thought you were a millionaire. So you could you could pay for your racing and then some with the winnings. Yeah, we did. Yeah, absolutely, we did. I mean, I win the championship. It was more than I had in the car that I was beating them with. Hmm. And are you working on the farm the whole time? Oh yeah, we're probably the only farmers around that never hate on weekends. We'd bust our ass all week, race weekend. We'd race 40 times a year. We'd race on Thursday, Friday, you'd work on it, go to Airborne Saturday, 
and a lot of times come back to Thunder Oak for a Sunday show. But we were racing 40, 40 times a year back in them days. I definitely couldn't do it now. And your son, is he's working with you on the farm today? No? Yes. Because I, I, when I was working for the state a few years ago, I was putting out traffic counters, and I'm putting out the tubes, and this big tractor goes by. I'm like, I think that was Brandon Lanfear on the top of a tractor. Had the mullet still kind of flowing in the breeze. Oh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I think that was Brandon Lanfear. And I, I might have texted Justin. He's like, where are you? And I told him, like, yep, that was probably him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> headed down the road. Yeah. So that's a generational thing. Oh, yeah. Now, oh. Were, you, were your parents farmers too? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How far back does that farm go? Uh, my father worked for my grandfather, and he bought the farm out in 76. And then I came in, and we were partners. I bought everything out from him in 2013, and now it's me and my son, and eventually that will be the next. Hopefully he buys me out. How's it going? I know it's been tough the last, well, farming's never easy, but how, how has it been? It's it's um, it's one of them businesses you kind of can't afford to be in it, can't afford to get out. Hmm. I mean, I've been fortunate, made some right decisions, and it's gone the right way for me, but it's I mean, it's, it's, it's still tough, but it, it's tougher for some people that haven't made the right turns when they should have. What do you guys do on the farm? Um, well, we're lucky now. It's all robotic. Cows milk themselves. I mean, we, we have to be there, you know, for cleaning and that stuff, but feed them. But it's pretty much just me and Brandon that run the thing. My father helps in the summertime. He goes to Florida. But now it's pretty self-sufficient and no, it's a new era of firemen. How many how many head of cattle do you have? Uh, one hundred twenty-five. One hundred twenty-five sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> no, that's small actually. I mean, for the most part, around. I mean, my cousin, he has like five hundred, and you know, no, we're not that big, really. All right, I have to not to jump around too much because we want to talk about you know the family and the next generation here later on, but how cool or important is it for you that you can have all these common interests with Brandon? Oh, it's really cool. And then, I mean, from the, from the business side of it, I mean, as a parent, you guys are, I mean, you have a son and then you kind of want him to follow. I mean, is he going to want a farm? Is he going to, I mean, I didn't know if he wanted to raise, he was fairly, up in age before all of a sudden you get an interest to do that. You know, I mean, so as a father to have a son, you kind of like hope that they go the next steps. Definitely. Let's get back into your, uh, into your racing here. Um, Mark, between the two of you, your brother, Mark was sort of the hot dog before he was winning races before you were. Yeah. I mean, it, when I started racing it, it, it took me, four years before I won, Mm -hmm. but I was always up in points near the point lead because I'd always finished good qualifying. was good, you know, so I was always accumulating points and there was a lot of years that 
I would say, man, I would love just a race for no points because you get caught up in that point thing. And then I tell you that, that, that just causes a lot of issues. <laughs> well, but once you started winning races um, in 88 was your first win at Thunder Road, um, the championship started to come and you, you won a bunch of them. You won three years in a row. You won some sort of a championship and almost a fourth. So what? Yeah, because because in '88, for my first win, I passed Olson for the lead. Mike Olson. Mike Olson. So that was my, my first win. I think I ended up second in points to uh, Ronnie Lamel that year, I believe, in '88. '88. Something like that. That's about the right era. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then it just—I mean—then we go to '89. I mean, it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. Then we had what the international series we've been in '90, yep. and then '91 Thunder Road Track Championship. So, you know, for the most part, that division, the Flying Tigers, was it is now the late model. So that that we know they're, they're racing in Hickory as we speak, actually. Um, but that's where that division grew out of was the Flying Tigers. And, you know, for the most part, it was just weekly at Thunder Road. And then when Catamount was open, you'd go there, you know, five times a year. But that division really started to take off. And your state championship in 89, it's weird that it's a state championship because it included the two races up at San Air. What was that like for you to go from tiny little Thunder Road you know, quarter mile, high banked, you're going fast, but you're not really going that fast to San Air Super Speedway, almost a mile in length, the scary ass dog leg on the backstretch. I can be honest, and I can probably speak for most of them in our division. When we pulled through that front gate at San Air, I believe most of us shit our pants. Because <laughs> you look left down the front stretch. You look right down into turn one, and then you go into the pit area, and it's like, holy shit. But once I got out there, I loved it. We'd come down that front stretch, and uh, there was numbers on the wall, three, two, one, zero. A lot of them were hitting the brakes at three or two. I'd go all the way to zero before I'd start breaking, <laughs> cut through, and then you'd head up through Practice, I could not go through the trioval wide open. But when you got racing, you know, and it was like a rabbit, then I could do it. But to actually get my foot to go to the floor through the trioval, just, just crazy. And all you see going through the trioval is sky. I mean, it's it just, it's a weird, I mean, you drift to the wall, but all you see is blue sky. Yeah, it's kind of wide open out there. Yeah, no, it, but to go from Thunder Road to that was like, wow. What? Uh, how? How much different did the car act? And I mean, you you got to think about aerodynamics at this point. Oh Jesus Christ! I think I had put a piece of two before under the front. Our plastic windshield, you know, we we cut the roofs, the bodies off, and they're junkyards. It was just a skin, and I can remember my top of my windshield and roof coming down. I think we had to put a piece of two before in to keep the roof from coming down. We're going so fast. The air was pushing it right down. (laughs) 
So you're okay. So you got a wooden roll cage at Saint Air. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was so? What what made it? Do you remember the first time that you went flat foot through the dog leg? Like what what forced you to do that? Following somebody that was ahead of me that I was supposed to pass. It's probably Steve Miller, or it could have been Norm. He won up there. Yeah, I mean Steve Miller. I don't, I'll be careful how I say it, but he had big grapefruits. <laughs> He'd go, I, that man would go through that dry oval. I mean, it was crazy. He still there was does. One race, there was one race with him and my brother, and Steve Miller said after that my brother would have won it if he gone through the dry oval wide open like he did. Yeah. But, Steve still tries to hurt himself all the time. Yeah, yeah I he, believe that. Yep, yeah, that's, that's who he is. <laughs> yep. So, <clears throat> all right, then – then uh, the international series is sort of an extension of that, where you, it's a it's an actual series. You win that championship in 1990, and then I I mean I would guess that the King of the Road title is probably the one that means the most to you in '91. Would that be fair? Yeah, that came down me and Burger Blake. And, yeah, I mean it was just crazy, and then we'll go to that last race. I think we started like 14th and 15th. I, we're like three points apart. I mean, it just, we raced to the front. Uh, I think Silly might have been leading. Berger second, I'm third. We're going down the back stretch, and there's a big white pop of smoke. Did he blow his motor? And, I mean, I just, it was surreal. It took me three, four laps to figure out finally that he was in the infield, and I'm like, holy shit. Shit, I got to get out of. I mean, I was like in a hornet's nest. I fell back the tent so I could run by myself. But no, I mean, no, it's a big thing. Thunder Road period is a big thing. I don't care what you win there, it's a big thing. What do you no, it was surreal. Let's let's go back. I guess let's go back to that that first win in 88. What did do you remember that night in 88? Yeah. In that first win? Yeah. Yep. Coming out of turn two, past Mike Olson on the outside for my first win. But why I probably remember it, because it took me four years to get the first win. Right. But do you remember getting out of the car, and, and how was the crowd? And and I, I'm i wondering if you've seen any of the, the recent videos that have been posted on YouTube and stuff of all the races from that era, 88, 89, 90, the crowd was loud then. They they made no secrets about how they felt about every driver, and they weren't always in your favor. You know, I don't remember what the crowd was like to me at that point. Maybe I hadn't done any stupid shit to piss them off yet. Or I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't remember that. But I remember, though, Six, seven thousand people every Thursday night yeah. in that era, mm-hmm. and they were loud. And I mean, they either liked you or hated you. They did. At the end of the day, I really didn't give a shit. So you know that. Better. Well, uh, yeah, but that's and that's that's great because that leads us into the Dwayne that everybody knows, the Dwayne that everybody thinks of. How? At what point? Or or was it always this way? that you just said, you know, I don't care what they think of me. Because, you think, know, most drivers do care. I, 
I think probably most of my career, I thought that, and I base that off. I was a big Dale Earnhardt senior fan. I mean, I've got brand new T-shirts. I won't wear them. I mean, they're they're tucked away. He was like that. He was a hard-nosed racer. Do what you gotta do. Hate second. I mean, I just. I mean, that I kind of modeled myself after him in a sense. And that's that's how I raced. That's how I thought. I mean, it is what it is. Because even even if they don't like you, my thought was, but you're still watching. As long as they're making noise. Period. I mean, I mean, I I, I sold a lot of tickets. A lot of Lamont County people came down Route 12 from Morrisville to Barry every week. And I know that for a fact, 20 years later, guys that haven't been in 20 years, when I restarted in the last few years racing Tigers, they've come back. And they hadn't been to Thunder Road in 20 years. I mean, and that's just a fact. Uh, did you ever have a conversation about anything like that with Tom Curley or Ken Squire? You know, the star power, the, the value of, Dwayne Lanfear there or the value of, I don't know, pick a driver. Burger Blake was hot at the time being a Barry guy. Um, did, was that ever something that was realized in a conversation? Oh, absolutely. It might not have been the friendliest or the nicest conversation, <laughs> but Tom Curley was a businessman and he knew it. I mean, I've been kicked out probably five times forever in a day and, <laughs> We'd always, we'd talk, and he, he, he knew what came through that gate from Lamoille County. And what the biggest proof in the pudding was, so we'll skip ahead a few years. So in 1998, the tour was going to, um, to, uh, St. Felician. Yeah. And I think the car count was, you know, mediocre. He wanted some more cars. I'm in Old Orchard on vacation i've been booted out of thunder road and basically the phone call and the conversation it was kind of a blackmail if you want to come back to thunder road you, you need, need to, to go, go to st felician st. felician is 10 hours from home <laughs> and i'm already in old orchard beach maine yeah <laughs> so my father and jim galson get my car ready i drive back home and we load up and go and then me and Pete Fecto are convoying to St. Felician. And, uh, <laughs> and that's another whole story. But I go up. So, so we had a feature on Saturday night, and we had one on a Sunday. So that Saturday night, but none of us had seen this racetrack for the most part. Yeah. So I go out and just start following the Canadians around. That was a hard track to figure out. Yeah, it was it was like a tiny sand air, but had elevation changes. It was a weird little track. So I start last. I ended up finishing third that night. Yeah. And then uh, we all go to the local bar, Cabana's there. I mean, you, you know how the Canadians are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sunday's race wasn't so much fun. <laughs> Needless <laughs> to say, for a lot of us. <laughs> I think is that the one that Mark Barnier won because it must have been a good party if Barnier's winning. Yes, it was. <laughs> no, definitely. 
It was. Yeah, it was one of Barnier's biggest wins of his career. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So well, I was tickled to death to go way up and finish third. It's a long, long haul up there. So, well, let's, um, I guess let's work backwards from that. What got you thrown out, Dwayne? <laughs> oh, God damn. I, I think I can tell you what got you thrown out. Tom, do you remember this? Yeah, you might have to. Oh, I think, I, I think I've got the idea. Uh, I seem to remember around that time period, um, Dick Blake chasing you around the racetrack with a tow truck. Well, would that been 98? Well, it's, I don't know. It was 97, 96, 97, 98, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, because I was kind of like on Curly's radar. I mean, if any little skirmish happened, it was, that was to me, I felt, okay, it was him. Again. It felt like I was getting picked on. Well, so that night, when when they were kind of trying to get me up, they red flagged the whole place and I kept going and the crowd is fucking going wild. Oh yeah. Booty's up there announcing. I think he was kind of pissed off. How many of you come to watch this shit or something? And <laughs> I, I actually gained fans that night. The crowd, the crowd went wild. They were, just, it was a show. They were just loving it. <laughs> yeah, I was one of them. <laughs> yeah. And, oh. um, yeah, that's probably when I did get kicked out that time. Because you were gone for a while after that one, as I recall. Yeah, until I got blackmailed to go to St. Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at I guess. Point, I would have done most anything to get back. But I guess that that's sort of why I asked the question was it ever a conversation with Tom Curley about how much value you brought. You were, you were a commodity at Thunder Road. I mean, you, you brought fans, you put money in Tom Curley's pocket. So he must've known that and throwing you out was probably part of his program, you know, maybe not intentionally, but here's Dwayne screwing up. Part of the show. Oh, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. And, and then I, if I can recall some of our, meetings in the office or the phone calls with the phone a foot away from your ear <laughs> conversation that was brought up. I mean, he, as a businessman, he knew what it was worth to his pocket. The squire knew the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like going back, how, how supportive is the family when you're taking off from vacation to go home and then drive 10 hours to Canada. Um, they, they were fine with it. The kids were little then, but it was, it was what I did at the time. And, and it allowed me to go back to racing in Barry where they could go local. I mean, 45 minutes from home. I mean, it's just what I did for so many years. I mean, even that, I mean, you hear the cup guys talk, you know, how much people give up for it. I mean, even at our level, sacrifices, well, people give, yeah. yes, it's huge at our local level. It's huge. Definitely. When, when you got tossed out and, and you're on vacation and all that stuff in that time frame, were you racing anywhere else or was the car just on jack stands? I believe I was going to Groveton then. 
I don't remember what year was the Steve Poulin error and that stuff because yeah. I, I I was one of them and, and Steve Poulin was too at the time. You know, you put the knife in and turn it a little. So we have a car show at the Barry Auditorium and my whole hood is a great big Groton Speedway sticker and shit on display at the Barry Auditorium. You know what I mean? It was kind of like a <laughs> F you. How how supportive was was the family when when you're in your battles with Curly and you're getting thrown out and you're getting chased around the the track with a tow truck? I mean, were they were they in your corner or were they like Jesus Christ? What's he doing? Oh, I'm sure under their breath they were Jesus Christ, but but my father was a thorn in Curly's ass too, according to Curly. <laughs> <laughs> he said he told me that one time. <laughs> Well, so St. Felicien gets you back in the good graces and and you're you're back full time. You're running Thunder Road, you're running the tour, um, and probably still a little bit of airborne. Um and then you, you start to really kind of hit your stride and and you had a couple bad wrecks. I, we talked in the in the episode with Tracy Bellrose, you had one real bad wreck and your brother Mark had a bad wreck and it was all about in the same time. I think this is nineteen ninety nine. And it seemed like for both of you at that point, a, a switch sort of flipped and you guys became, uh, both of you became much more level-headed, cool racers, guys that were dependable, you know, every week to be up front and to not lose your temper. Cause Mark had a temper too. I mean, there's not, you know, you're, oh, you're the guy, you're, you're the guy that everybody thinks of, but I remember fans booing Mark and Mark spinning cars out and. You know, that it's not, uh, you're not a lone wolf here, but it seemed like 99, 2000, things changed, and, and you guys are both whole new racers. Yes. So I dug this picture out for you guys after listening to Tracy. So this was July 8, 99, when me and Tracy got together. Yeah. So that was a brand new car destroyed. Man, and I mean... I know that, that, that people can't that see that picture. People can't see the picture, but the body is all torn up right by your driver's window. I mean, that's got to get your attention. I went into the phone head first, ripped the net out, and uh, inside was full of foam. And that same night, Seamus was in the V in front of the tower. Yes, he took off. He took off running. Ran right into the tower. I don't yeah. know if it busted his nose, but blood was going yeah. everywhere. Tom got down there. But the whole 6,000 people, dead silent. You, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, that it, that was a crazy wreck. Yeah, and but, I, um, yeah, I do remember seeing this. Stride and shit. I think we were running a, were we running a recap or, or a, some kind of a treaded tire, all four corners or something at that point, somewhere in that frame before we went to slick slits. And we just figured out chassis wise how to, we weren't burning up tires. A lot of guys were burning tires and they were coming apart. We just, we, we, we hit on something that worked really well. Yeah. And like Justin said, you were up front a lot. And I remember, just because it's one of my I know earlier yep. 
memories that I can really fix on where I could focus and I was a little older was the Memorial Day Classic in 2000 because Pat chased you for about 90% of oh, that race. Yeah. Yeah. What a race. Tom's Uncle Pat, that, that was a great race. That was a race. And that was like one of the most fun times I had watching. Obviously, my uncle wins, so yay. That's you know, fun, but it was just an all-out fight the whole way, and he got you at the end, but yeah. nothing but nice things to say about you. I'm like, oh, why does everyone say this guy's such a dick? Well, and you know, and, and your car was white, and I think that's important is because you always had black cars, <laughs> and for whatever reason, bad boy Dwayne was now baby angel Dwayne, and, and you had this beautiful white car, and it's like a whole new attitude. Because you could buy white panels, and I didn't have to paint it. <laughs> I think that's why Pat went to yeah, black. So that's where went to white too. That's just coincidence, then. Yeah. Because then I think later that season you guys were racing somewhere, and I forget where it was, and it was almost stacking up to do that again, where you were out in front, and Pat was chasing you down, and then he ended up melting a distributor cap, and he was yeah. right up at the front of the ACT points, and it kind of went downhill yeah. from there, yeah. but. Yeah. And no, I mean, that whole out. year of 2000, I've had, had really good races. And uh, comes the end of the year at Mount Bowl time. And I thought I'd finished third in the Mount Bowl. Come to find out a day or two or, or later, or something, Hoare ended up third. Yep. I ended up fourth. But, I, but Tom and Darla made me this little cup. They gave me a fourth place finish cut, you know, because we'd gone through all the hoopla. And it was fun. So I just go back the next year and just win it. <laughs> I didn't know they made you a fourth place cup. <laughs> yeah, I have that today. So. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you mentioned it the 2001 Milk Bowl, and um, it was the kiss scene around the world. And literally. Yeah. And uh, just. What an unbelievable day between you and Pete Fecto, um, two boys from Lamoille County. And Fecto had the car to beat. I think everybody knows that. That's the year that he won the, the tour championship. He had the car to beat. He won the first segment. He won the third segment. He got dumped in the, in the middle round. But you were consistent all day. I mean, take, take us through each one of those segments and, and what you remember. So time trials. I cannot time trial for shit. But I had a good car that year. And I, I time trial four, which surprised me. And um, so we go, Phil's up there, and I get by him, and I'm chasing Fecto down in that first segment. So I ended up second. Then we go to the second segment, you know, so now we're in the rear. And, um, just coming up through, and I believe Pete got hit and got a flat tire. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. And so I'm like, okay, there's one, and I just keep going. And I think so. At some point in there, I mean, you got to bully your way a little bit. I got turned. I ended up going through the infield, cutting off turn one, coming out on turn two. I mean. Shit, what just happened? I mean, I was just wheeling it. And um, I ended up eighth in the second segment. Then, um, 
So now, I mean, you're close. You're three quarters of the way back, third segment. First lap, we go into to, uh, turn one. You probably can remember. I don't know if you can see this. Oh, yeah. Derek Ming. Well, so Derek was up in points. And I said it back then, and I'll say it today. He knew he was in points. He knew where I was in points. And if you look at that picture, he's aiming for that left rear tire. And I, I, I mean, I'll say it. I don't give a shit. But I still think he knew what he was doing when that happened. So my my doors, my cap ripped off, tires flat, and I'm yep. son of a bitch. We go in the pits, and I can remember Dean saying, take your time, fix it. You're all good. You're good. So they're duct taping, get the tire on, and now I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I'm dead last, third segment, and we just go. I knew I was cool. Oh, I knew Pete was leading I'd come down the front stretch and I could see Pete going down the back stretch and it's like, son of a bitch. So I just keep going, keep going. And thank God for Steve Miller driving off turn three. <laughs> like I said, yellow, he's, he's he tries to hurt himself all the time. <laughs> so yellow comes out. I gained two more spots. Well, I, get, I guess I didn't need the last one. I passed Bruno down the front stretch. Yep. Good thing I tightened my belts before I passed him. <laughs> I went up on the wall. So I ran big springs that year. Everybody else had gone to coilovers. One of my springs come out of the bucket. I'm doing donuts after I win it. The spring comes right out. But I have no hood. My car really? looks like it come out of the junkyard. I, I remember that car sitting so funny. That's what happened. You hit the wall and the spring came out? Yeah, when I went by Bruno, I went up onto the wall and came back down. So the other, oh, the car was all screwed up. Oh, my God, Dwayne. And I didn't need that point. Well, you got it. <laughs> so at this point in the milk bowl, I had the highest winning yep. point count at the time. It's gotten higher since. Yep. But that was with 20 points win the milk bowl, which is unheard of back then. Yeah. Well, even now, even now, that's a high score. Yeah. 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 So, uh, take us to victory lane, Dwayne. Oh, son of a bitch. I mean, talk about winning the championship, how it feels at Thunder Road, but you win the Melt Bowl. I mean, you go anywhere in the country and you mention Thunder Road, Melt Bowl. People know. People know what you're talking about. I mean, I dumped the milk on me and that cow. I laid that kiss on her and the drool running down my <laughs> side of my face. I mean, people, so there's pictures in the Toronto Sun. There's papers from Los Angeles yep. that were covering it. I mean, it was amazing. So then so we're walking back in the pit and somebody was that is gross how you kiss that cow, you know, on and off. And I said, uh, you ever kiss your dog? Well, yeah, that's different. I said, you ever seen a cow kiss its own ass? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say no more. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, how, how, how cool was it for you especially, and nobody else has this perspective that you do? You look through every picture 
of the victory lanes and the milk bowl in the 1990s, late eighties, nineties, there's Randy McDonald, you know, trying to just put a little smooch on that. And it's you holding the cow. Uh, yes. So I've got Randy McDonald. I'm holding the cow. I brought the cow. I got Kevin LePage. Yep. I'm holding the cow. Yep. And, um, they were kissing her like a sissy, <laughs> <laughs> but to live, to live that in that era. And I brought the cow, but then go to my era and win that race. You know, there's a, there's a lot to it. You know, how, when you're, when you're standing there and, and Randy McDonald is fake kissing a cow, how bad did you want to be in his spot in 1992 when you're, you're on top of your game in your division, but you know, at that point, the late models were not the top division, the ACT. Right. That's everybody's dream, you know, right. Let's go to that next division, win that big race, you know, right up through. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's every kid's dream to this day. And hopefully my kid can do that someday. Maybe I can hold that cow for him. That would be pretty cool. Mm. What what goes into picking the cow? Um, gentle, friendly, not going to run all over and be spooked. And, and I'm trying to think, one year they couldn't find anybody to bring the cow, so I was the last draw. So I got the blackmail. I got, <laughs> yeah, I got four tires that year. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a fairly good that's trade a, off. That's a good trade. Come, comes around, goes around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as strange as it is to think of that this way, that milk bowl win was your only win between 1996. You want to race at St. Croix uh, with the uh, Can Am series that they had. And then you went five years with no wins. And then you went another six years with no wins. How, how does that happen? How do you go 11 years where you only win one race and it's the milk bowl? How in the world does that happen? I can't explain it. Cause I was, I was running wicked. Good. So that 2001 season, I think was a year. Everybody was switching to coil overs. I believe in our first race that year in 2001, we went to star. Yep. And I said, all winter, I tell Pete Doodle, I said, I'm going, I was the only big spring car still. We go to stars and I'm going to win that race at star with my big springs. So I go down there and, and I am winning and I'm leading. Yeah. But it takes my car five laps to get going and then I'm gone. Well, right at the end of the, so Chris Bashad's first win was that star yeah. speedway. Yep. I remember. He beat my ass to, it took me five laps to get going. Nobody could touch me with those big springs. So that's 2001. Midsummer, we go to Groton. I whooped the living shit out of them mm-hmm. at Groton. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Pembroke, Brian, you look in your mirror and you're just leaving those guys. 11 laps to go. Jimmy Winters comes out of the infield, drives straight up turn three, right into I mean, I just killed them. All day long from practice, whatever. Nobody could touch it. So I mean, so the so there was two more wins in two thousand one that slipped away. 
and then to the North Pole. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you either you win or you're second or third or last. Is it nothing? Is it coming in your head at all throughout that stretch? Like God, I am having a lot of close calls, but I am not getting that win. I don't. I don't recall if it got into my head or whatever. I mean, because I was running good. I mean, it, it might not have been that year, but I was always under the curly microscope. I mean, probably so in 2000, I think 2000, so we're going St. Croix, we're going all over, and, and I'm under that little curly microscope. I ran really good in my heats and semis, so I always had, I gained a lot of points, but then I'd have a bad race. But my handicap did not reflect my starting positions in these races. Mm. Spell was always up in the points, and we go do um, introductions, and I'd be back getting filled. Going, what the hell are you doing way back here? And we'd just laugh. But every week, me and Phil. From way back, we, we get ourselves in the top five, and then our, you know our equipment, our tires were wore down or whatever. We we just worked together really good, and um, but I, I mean I just you, some, you get under that curly microscope, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people that are listening know what I'm talking about. I mean, that's just the relationship that me and Tom had. We were a lot alike. He didn't take my shit, and I surely didn't take his shit. And I respect him as a businessman. He ran a good show. We could go have pizza and beer, not talk racing or nothing, and just have a good time. Mm -hmm. But we just had that, I'd almost say like a father-son thing. I mean... We just didn't take each other's shit, and that's how we operated. We we got through a lot of years. You guys kind of needed each other. Oh, definitely, I think, to a point. I mean, probably more I needed him than me, but he was a businessman, and he he knew how to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Why why is it that nobody has taken the place of a Dwayne Lanfear? attitude wise since and we've got a lot more to talk about between now and then but that question just came into my head why is it that, that you were the one guy to kind of stand up and say what's right is right what's wrong is wrong a lot of them feel you got to kiss your kiss ass to get where you want to get i just tried to get there the way i thought i needed to get there and i'm definitely not going to kiss ass i mean that's I mean, I guess that's the best way I can say it, honestly. But as far as anybody replacing me, I I don't know. Is it good for the sport? I don't know. Is it? All right. So uh, we didn't see you for a little while, um, mid-2000s, but then you, you get in a ride with, uh, with Mike Thompson, come back, and this is 07. And that is not – that's not the best car, but you you got a lot out of it. You won a couple races, Thunder Road and Groveton. That car, we finally ended up cutting it off, put a race basics now. I just felt that it flexed. I mean, we, we'd be fast, 
and then it would just get really loose. It it was a hard car to drive. I mean, I didn't win with it in 07 until like the last weekly race, yeah. Kitty Drug Night. Yeah. And I had to work my ass off with uh, Marcel Gravel. With Marcel, I mean, in the yellow fell right, and then I got the lead back, and then it, it, the car was tough to drive. It was hard. Mm-hmm. But the biggest win, though, I think, was the fall brawl beating Quinny Welch at Grove. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that's his. That's his stomping ground. That's his home turf. Yeah, they are White Mountain. You beat Quinn yep. Welch. Yep. Now they they were all a little surprised, but congratulated me. I mean, I just I was determined at that point. And the Fall Brawl is an underrated kind of big race. It really is. That a lot of people went to and wanted to win. Oh shit! Yeah, it was a little boring. Yeah. You know, I always loved Groton. I mean, go from there. I mean. Well, sometimes it was my second home when I didn't have my first home to go to. (laughs) Not a whole lot of adjustment either. I mean, they're both, they're very similar racetracks. When I ran big spring late model, everybody go to coil. I made very minute changes in my car to go to any track that we went to from star to St. Croix. I mean, other gear change. Maybe a little shock change, tiny bit of spring, but that car, that was a left-hander. It, mm-hmm. it would just go anywhere. If just one of them cars, it didn't matter where you go, it just would perform. Those left-handers were very popular for a while. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of them out there. So <clears throat> you mentioned the, the fall brawl win at, at uh, Grove Tona International Super Speedway. That's 2009. That's the fall of 2009, and just a few weeks before that was maybe the second most Dwayne moment of of your career as the bad boy, and uh, that's when David Reagan showed up as the special guest at Thunder Road. That was uh, so much fun, and, and all you got out of it was a heat race, but for the fans, it was so much fun, and before you tell the story, Dwayne, I'm going to quote you. From the, from the interview that you and I did that night. And forgive my language here, but this is the quote. It's simple. You write it. He's a fucking pussy. Period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> what See, happened? We'd win the heat race. I hadn't been there, I think, for a while. Then I'd come. I'd show up once in a while, I think. I don't think I was weekly racing. Yet. Right. And, um, we start last in the heat. I'm back there with Phil and David Reagan. I get by Phil and Reagan. And for all you people that are watching, you can get on YouTube and verify mine and Justin's story. <laughs> Just YouTube, Wayne Lampier, and you'll see that we ain't bullshitting you. But he is a pussy racer. <laughs> a hired gun comes in for a one-off show. And probably one of the nicest cars. I would love to drive this. Phil's equipment. Yeah, that was a Phil Scott he, car, a doodle car. And he's driving in the dirt to get under me in a heat race. Knock, knock. I let it go once, maybe twice. But I think the third time, his hood had a little V in it when I brake checked him <laughs> at the start finish line. Mm-hmm. And if I had known then what I know now, 
he would have been one of those. He would have been with Dave Whitcomb and Tracy out to the ticket booth. <laughs> if I known I was going to be thrown out in that heat race. Yeah, because you. I they, can honestly say that. Yeah. Because all you did was brake check him. You didn't wreck him, and, yeah. and he passed you. Quick, quick brake check. They black flagged me. Star of the night got brake checked by the bad boy. So I'm under the curly microscope. So yep. you know what happens. Yeah, and not so just black flag. You were sent home. Yeah, you were out. Oh, I was out. So Reagan's headed to my trailer, and I was hoping he was coming. <laughs> Tina stopped him. Because I've, I've told this story before. Too. I wanted to send him back to North Carolina with a black eye from a dude from Thunder Road. Period. But <laughs> Tina stopped him. She knew. <laughs> so that's a David Reagan story. You can get on YouTube and verify everything that was just said. Oh. And, and then we really didn't see you for a long time after that. Uh, and, and that was about it for you for, for Thunder Road for a long time. Yes. I mean, I think, yeah, definitely. I can, it's hard to put dates. I probably went, so that might have been four years before I come back with anything. Probably. Or at least, whatever. I mean, were you racing at all or were you just fed up? I think I got rid of everything. I think I'd sold, I'd sold, um, I think Scott Carpenter got a lot of my shit, I think, at one point. Said he didn't have no money. I said, no problem. I'll finance you. Pay me when you can. I just, you know, you get pissed off and you just, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I mean, from scales to any of your pit equipment, I mean, I got rid of everything. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. And you have, went through this stretch where the Tigers were a dying breed and yeah. there were, six tigers at thunder road or nine or wherever you went and they're having to do segment racing just to try to make it entertaining for the fans. Then all of a sudden the switch flips and there's this resurgence and they're getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden Dwayne Lanfear comes back with a tiger. I know Brandon was in the street stocks at that point. He had bought Marcel gravels street stock and was that since he was going racing and he was there, did that spark your interest? Like, Hey, why not bring something myself? And Mark was there with the girls too, with, with Riley and Peyton. Yep. In the yep. street stocks at that point. Yep. But I think it, it did. It kind of lit a little fire under my ass. And I found out Joey LeCare had the car that Brandon now has. And I knew the history. I knew where it was built. I mean, I just knew a lot about it. And um, we went and bought that car. So at this point, so that would have been 2017, yep, I yep. think. Was, and I'd been gone for eight years now. Eight years I hadn't been racing. So we go to Thunder Road, I think the first race, Memorial Day. I, I did pretty good in my heat. I don't, can't recall if I won my heat. I mean, but so eight years I haven't been in a car. So then we're, we're, we're racing the feature and Brendan Moody's leading and I catching him, putting a horn to him. And I'm like, check over the death, finish up. Now I wish I tried to win it harder, but I come back eight years later in a tiger, which to me was like old school. These tigers are old school. 
pretty much other than the big slick, they're the same thing. And um pushed Moody across the finish line, finished second. I hadn't been in a car for eight years and it's like, holy shit. No, that was fun. So not only we did that, so then I buy another car that was built for White Mountain, Richie um can't think of the name now, but I bought that car. And they were both wicked fast. I mean, I'd race one one week, and I'd say, oh, shit, I'd come back the next week with a different car and still be just as fast. So then Brandon started racing it some. And so that second car that I bought, so in 2017, I won the last two races. 2018, I won the first two races. Mm-hmm. So now I'm tied with Clem, 1963, or four wins in a row. I'm going for five wins, and my kid gets his first win at 75 laughter. I mean, if I'm going to get beat and I get a record, it was it was him. But did that did that piss you off a little bit, or were you more proud? No, of I was taking a death. Yeah, because at that point I was like a lap or two to go. I was running fourth. I could see Brandon leading in that race, and I said, "Shit, I got to get to the podium finish." So I, I um. Moved double O out of the way and turned three so I could finish third, at least to be in the podium for the kid's first win. I didn't have to run back out. I was already there. <laughs> how uh, how cool was that for you to be able to say, yeah. I got to race with Brandon? That's pretty cool. I mean, to watch him, first time he was ever in a street stock. I'll back it up a little bit. We're at Grothen. We had Mick Butler, McMaster built a decent little motor for the Mustang. He he raced Richard Gravel's car. He raced the car that he ended up buying one time. I think Marcel let him drive. You know, yeah. So not really raced, but so now we're racing, and I'm watching this kid. And he was, from day one, he was a natural. Yeah. The movie made on Brandon Gray, the last lap yeah. on the back stretch at Groveton. And I thought he won the race. So Chris Bashad is is directing for Joey. I was Fire announcing that down on fire. Gray's trying to put him in the infield in the telephone pole. So Brandon ends up last too. They skewed him or I don't know, whatever. But from that day on, though, I watched him and it's like, man, he's a natural. The moves he's making, it, it, it was it was fun. Not just because he's my kid, but I tell you, he's a natural. And it's got him to where he's today. There was a, God help me, I don't remember what race it was. It might have been one of the Triple Crown races um, at Thunder Road and the Tigers two years ago, maybe. He had a flat tire on the right front of that car, and he was headed directly to the wall, and anybody else would have just lost the whole car and he somehow brought that thing never touched the wall brought it down to pit road and i i want to say that he came back through and got a top five or maybe even a top three i don't know but that was you, you you're right he's a kid that you notice immediately has some natural raw talent and that's not something that you coach that's something that you have you just have it and i noticed it because he's your kid and you you keep a watch on him expecting him to do something stupid but he never did. And, I, and I'm talking street stock days and, you know, and he's a kid, so kids do dumb things. Um, but everybody's watching. It's like the microscope that you talked about. But the kid never, 
He never had that moment. He was always smooth, always calculated. And then he gets into trouble and finds himself getting out of trouble and sparkling clean on the other side. And I think there's, there's really something special about, about your son. I'm not saying that because you're looking at me. I'm saying that because I believe it. Not to bad. And like Justin said, you know, coming in with that last name comes with expectations, good and bad. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I can honestly, I've said it to people. It, with even with the trouble that me and Tom Curley have had, I wish he had gotten more chances to see Brandon race and what he's accomplished. And Tom was always good, good with young kids. He liked to see him do it. I mean, I wish he could have seen what he's been able to do. You know, from 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 mine and Tom's history, it would make me feel good. You know, Curly's he's such his kid. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll get back to the kids here in a second. But during that short Tiger run you had, you also, if I'm not mistaken, got one late model start in there as well. Because I think I remember talking to you for the radio, maybe the '04. Yes, I did. Yep. Um, so that gave me a little clue to to all this new bump stopping and crazy shit there on it. I mean, biggest. Sway bar I ran with an inch and an eight, you know, you get in it. But we go out and practice and we're on old tires. I mean, I'm pushing Trampus Demers Demers down the back I mean, we were turning some good times. And I hadn't been in a late model, I don't know how many years. Then we get into Peacher and the new tires and car got tight, these new setups. It was like, and I said, you know, I'm not gonna wreck this fucking thing. And I just that was that. But was I'm old it, enough. I don't need to be in a late model. No, but it must have given you some understanding of, of how things have changed. Oh, boy. That's what I mean. Huge. It, it's a big difference how you drive them compared to what we used to drive, how we drove them to the new stuff. Now, you mentioned it. You were having the success with the Tigers, and I remember pretty much week in, week out, it's you know you and Brendan and Mike Martin. Yep. trading back and forth and all running up front. Jason and Woodard. then yeah, Jason Woodard, of course, and all of a sudden, abruptly, you were gone. What happened there? I was racing for the lead with double O, and his car is, it's, um, I don't want to say it, State of Vermont, plow truck, orange. Yeah. And it's about the same width when you're trying to pass him. And just, you know, going, going, going. And we kind of got into a little skirmish. And Joel Hoshton spun behind me. That's right. And I'm like, okay, I didn't even know he spun. He's behind me. All of a sudden, they pull me over on the front stretch, put me to the rear. So let me back up a little. So me and Joel at this point had a 100-point point lead over Brandon in third. Yep. I mean, hundred. there were nobody going to touch us. Yeah, it was just the point. two. Yeah, yep, yep. So I get put to the rear, and the race goes on, and I'm stewing the whole time. Finally, it's like, you know what? As much as I would, at my age, love to win another Tiger championship, 
I've been there, I've done it. And I said, fuck this. I was done. That was like July, first of July or end of June. And it pissed a lot of people off because of our 100 point. Joe Hoshin won the goddamn championship in July. Yeah. It was, yeah. you know, pretty much done. Yeah. I mean, I handed it to him. I mean, he probably thinks he won it big time, fair and square, but truth is, I gave it to him. I mean, point blank, I've had enough. So then I didn't race until I think September at some point I come back. Yeah. And I'm headed to the front again. Car and me hadn't missed a beat. Five to go. I'm running like I'm headed for four. And the whole outside lane drops to the bottom, and I can clear sailing up the time. Like holy shit! Next thing I know, I'm sideways on the front stretch. I save it, and then I'm really crossed up in turn one, and we're wrecked. And Woodard catches me, rips his car apart. Hodgson hit me. Well, Hodgson's the one that dumped me. Guess he was pissed off. I had been there all summer and I still beat his ass. So, I'm the type, I'm not going to say, I'm coming back next week, dump your ass. I'm going to fucking take care of you right now. So, I get over to three and four, I get in front of them. I don't know, I must, I, I shifted. I must have hit reverse and I went up over his hood in reverse. Hate when that That's happens. One. Those little accidents happen. <laughs> oh, it happens. The only thing I regret out of that, if I'd known I was going to be thrown out again, I would have done a better job when I hit reverse. Is that one of those where you get back to the pits and you look at Brandon and be like, "Do as I say, not as I do." No, he he would he he would kind of like just shy away or whatever. I mean. He wouldn't say, I mean, I know it bothered him, pissed him off probably. You know, dad's acting up again. Well, and he's, friends, the, he's friends with these guys yeah. too. Yeah, he is. That's fine. Don't bother me a bit. I have my opinion and they can all be friends. I mean, I don't judge nobody for being friends. Yeah. Mm. Everybody does something embarrassing to their kids. and Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's yours. <laughs> So, so where are you at now? Are you done? Done? Are you going to come back? Or, or, or time will tell. Yeah. Well, two years ago, I got I had another stupid moment, and I built a whole brand new car. So I got a brand new car, maybe five races on it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I mean, I sold my house. I got to build a new house. I don't know how much time I'm going to have. But somebody out there and podcast world needs a tiger car i got a nice one <laughs> <laughs> you can message us on the uh facebook page yeah, we can put you in contact right. well we're D- we're Dwayne's agents now <laughs> <laughs> so i'm curious what's it like for you and mark to see this full new generation of landfears with riley and peyton and brandon kind of stepping up to take their turn like we talked earlier any father to see their kids kind of follow along what we've done i mean it, yeah i mean kind of like 
know, proud. And did you enjoy seeing your nieces even before Brandon started? Before Brandon started, like I said, we stayed away from the racetrack. I didn't see them a lot until like the first year Brandon raced. And then, you know, so, so now we got, was there a race that they were all like, yes, all three of them. of them were all three podium. Yep. That, I mean, which, I mean, that's, that is pretty neat that the odds of that happen and they're slim and none at one time. I mean, to have all three, no, it was fun. I think well, I was I so glad yeah, that street stock division being tech until twelve thirty one o'clock in the morning tearing the same shit apart every week. It's like, man, I want out. I think that's probably why we pushed more to move up and get out of the street stocks. And- so we know you will not be returning in the street stock division <laughs> to take on Tommy Thunder. Right. <laughs> no, Tommy can have the all the thunder you want. <laughs> no, we don't. We're done street stocks. <laughs> so looking to this season, all of a sudden, you know, news comes out that Brandon's going to drive that blue 16 Richard green trucking legendary what's car track championships on it. What is, uh, what's going through your head when that opportunity comes, comes up for him? Ah, oh, amazing. I mean, that made me like wicked. I mean, I'll be honest, that kind of made me tear up because at our level of racing in the state of Vermont, there ain't many of them opportunities. I mean, what is there? Maybe four good rides that have somebody drive them, you know what I mean? At our level. I don't know. It, it was just amazing. I was, I was proud. I mean, then you read every article, you know, I mean, it just, but I think he'll he'll do very very well in that car. Joey Becker is taking him under his wing. They're down there today, painting it, getting it ready. And, and you're just he doesn't wreck equipment. And are you just proud dad on the sidelines, or is he asking for tips and tricks? No, the only thing I said he goes down a couple times a week and work on. I said, I don't take, I don't care if it takes you a whole fucking week. You sit in that seat and you move it. You adjust. The biggest battle is getting comfortable, getting the seat where it needs to be. That's the only advice I've given. How do you, how well do you get along with, with Joey Becker and, and Richard Green? They've been around a long time and I know that you've, you've raced with them a lot. Get along with him great. Never had an issue. Known Joey for years and years and years. And talking bullshit, whatever. Richard had always been nice. We always talk, communicate in the pits. I mean, you couldn't ask for a nicer bunch for your kid to be with, I think. And Richard, the only thing he said to him, we're going to have fun. We wreck. We're going to go home, fix it. We're going back the next week, have fun. I mean... There's no big expectations for him, but I think he'll surprise some people. I mean, he he ran a car he'd never been in in his life, first mountain bowl, and and I actually stood with Joey Becker in turn one. I think in the B feature or at some point, and he was being watched then. The late model guys and crew chiefs, 
watch our tiger races every week and people make comments. I mean, they've been watching him. I remember he had a pretty good run a couple of years ago running Marcel Gravel's second car. Yeah, and he was nervous. Well, he was, and he, he, I think he was ahead of Marcel. Yeah, yeah, you're right. For a good yeah, special. that didn't go over on the heat race or something. Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't push the car either, and 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 he went well in it. Yeah, no, he'll be fine. He's one of them. He don't. He doesn't wreck equipment. He takes care of stuff, and I think that's a big reason that, that helped him get that ride. Dwayne, I want to switch gears with you a little bit here. Yep. Um, I want to talk about some of the guys that you raced with because you you were winning races and championships in the era when it was, well, I, I mean, when it was fun, <laughs> when there was 50 cars every week trying to qualify for the feature. So I want to just throw some names at you and do kind of a word association thing. What, what's the first thing that pops into your head when I say Pete Facto? Amazing. He accomplished what he did with what he had. Brian Hoare could attest to that. Like, I heard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. For the, what was his line? You might need a tetanus shot going yeah, by yeah. the car, but he's going to make it go fast. Yeah. Chuck Beatty. Um, Hard-nosed racer in our time. He, he, he won a lot of races. He was hard to beat. He built them. He knew them inside and out. And the car that I won a lot in this recent era was built by him. And a lot of respect. God, I don't even know. How many Tigers do you think he's built? Oh, I oh, couldn't even guess. Dozens. Couldn't guess. Yeah. Dave Whitcomb. Very hard to pass. Airborne, we were racing there a lot. Pretty much you'd have to move him if you really wanted to get by him. <laughs> <laughs> And if you moved him, you better get going. You better move, yeah. yeah. Eric Williams. Oh, son of a gun. <laughs> uh, we, we've had our issues, and I'll give you a quick little story. So we're in practice one time. I don't know what happened, but he pissed me off. I took his left rear tire, left rear quarter panel, and half a door off, I think. Bent my spin in practice? My old man. Uh, in practice? Practice. Front Perfect. stretch. Perfect. Bent my front spindle. My old man was pissed off. But very hard-nosed racer. He probably, a lot like me. That's probably why we had a couple of times some issues. We're, we're a lot alike how we race. Mm-hmm. Phil Scott. Um, Be careful. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, no we're, we're really good friends. We've had a lot of good late model race. We had a good I mean, we helped each other get from the front to the rear. We had our Curly finally put a cabage. Like, we'd have communications with crew chief back. You know, we'd work together on restarts and shit. And Curly would take that away from us. So then we had hand signals. And <laughs> we've been very good friends for a long time. Um, no, I, very good professional race car driver and governor. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have a question that I have to ask you, and I I don't know I I, I just have to ask you because I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard, and this is not a racing story, but I've heard that you are a proud farmer, <laughs> and there was I don't know a few years ago, 
you were you were in the tractor going up the road with a manure spreader and somebody was blaring their horn at you or something like that i don't know and they pulled out to pass and you flicked on the switch is is this a true story true story so can you talk about it went, <laughs> yeah. so the one that finally got so i'm turning left into a field on route 12 so cars are 50 miles an hour i'm all lit up flashing lights and everything you know blinkers and they go flying by you on the left as you're turning so one had done it second one did it they went through the ditch through the field and i said the next one is gonna fucking get it i'm done so i go to turn in so now i'm in the shape of an owl with a tractor and the shit thing this lady in a pickup is is to my left i can't go forward because it's gonna run her right over she's flipping me off blowing the horn so she finally backs up a little i get square into the field so now i'm square with route 12 and she's right there i flick it on her side window down i fill the inside of the truck cover the whole truck route 12 (laughs) that cost me 500 dollars all the state to turn into what do you want to do i Go to check five hundred bucks, but I had more people that wanted to pay that. Oh my True god! True story. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> Don't mess with the Vermont farmers. What it comes down to. Yeah, I paid my taxes. That part of the road, mine too. So let Got me it. use my share. That's right. Oh, god bless you. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right, we're uh, moving into our quick oh, hitters Jesus. here to to close it out. First one, what is the uh, one vehicle you've owned that you wish you still had today? It is a 78 Z28 black, black leather seats. I bought it in that era from Chittenden Bank as a repo. Mm. And I don't know. I think this is my, my senior year picture. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Holy shit. If I could have that thing, I, I, I'd be you look like four speed. You look like Burt Reynolds smoking the smoking the, <laughs> the hair back then. But oh my god. No, that would be the one. Seventy eight, Z twenty eight. What yeah. happened to it? Um, I got crazy. Pretty near died one night, shot cornered, opposite side of the road. And I said, That's it. I traded it. Got rid of it. It just, it just, it was time. Question number two. We may have a lot to pick up, pick from here, but uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, to 1991, me and Berger are going back and forth racing, you know, points or championship. So in 1991, I think we just started doing a lot more 50 lap races. Mm-hmm fires our division. I, I was winning every one of them. I think Airborne, I mean, I was winning all the fifth one. So I take the lead this night. About to turn two. I look in the mirror, drop the wheels off the back stretch, and drive right off turn two. Leading the race. <laughs> to me, that was just like the dumbest, most embarrassing I mean, you're hoping you got a flat tire or something you can go to the pits with. Nothing. 
just have to go to the pits, get the windshield cleaned out from all the dust. That's probably the dumbest. And uh, finally, you got a long road trip to a racetrack. Who do you want riding with you, Shotgun? I would love to have, even in all the bullshit that I went through with Curly, and I've heard the stories on some of you, you know, mooting it, to have one of them long trips. Because we related on a lot of shit when we were away from the track. We were fine, but to be able to talk about a lot of our other shit, I mean, fire racing and that shit, that, that would be pretty cool. He's a popular answer with that question. I mean, he was what he was. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, but no, I respect him no matter, even with the shit we went through. But I'd like to be able to have, you know, that whole road trip you know, fill in a lot of the gaps of the ship. I mean, I've been at this for 38 years. I mean, when I, when I show up at Thunder Road, I'm, if, if Joey LeCare don't come, I'm the longest tenure there. I was there before Phil Scott. I mean, he's old. Yeah. I mean, so there, there's a lot of history on my side of that. <laughs> Dwayne, uh, I grew up in the grandstands loving you one week and hating you the next. And uh, as I've grown older, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and, and to, to watch you at your craft when you're around. It's not all the time, but when you're around, uh, and I think, Tom, you might agree that there's nobody better out there. And uh, even better, there's nobody better to talk to. And uh, we really appreciate you sitting with us. Well, even in the last few wins of Tigers, my Victor Lane speeches, one night, I could hear this one boo. I'm giving my, and it's like, whatever. I mean, boo, boo all you want. You must have been watching <laughs> me. I mean, it's, it's like the whole place just bust up. Okay. And a quick story. So when I'm kicked out in 2019 for the year, so the kids race and I go through the grandstands, people that didn't even like me for begging me to get back for the show. I mean, not just people that like me, people that didn't like me wanted me back racing. But I'm getting old enough now. And I'll, I'll be back once in a while, but I just, I don't have the time. It's like when I started at WDEV, Ken Squire told me, he said, Dwayne Lanfair is the best interview you can have as long as you can air it after. <laughs> uh, all right, Dwayne. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, guys. Once again, thank you to Dwayne Lanfear for giving us all his time to record with us. And he seemed pretty excited to talk to us and tell some stories which made it super exciting for us and you guys got some great stories even I didn't even know going in we were going to get a manure spreader story but we got a manure spreader story yeah yeah you know what he had some pictures too that were cool because I don't think I'd seen any of them before um you know and it was like his first his first tiger car uh that was pretty neat and then the wreck with Tracy Belrose that we've talked about a couple of times on this show. Um, 
he had a picture that I'd never seen of that wreck before. That was, of course, it doesn't help you, the listeners, but um, it gave us some some visual cues to to talk about anyway. So it was, it was cool. Dwayne 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 was very prepared for that show. Yeah, which makes it exciting for us. You can tell. Yeah. I don't think we've had anybody that wasn't happy to be doing the show with us. Yeah, but. So don't take it to mean that, but you can tell the ones that are super excited, yeah. like a Dwayne who had the pictures ready and Brian, Brian who yep. had the model truck ready for our quick hitter questions at the end, or, you know, those make it even more fun for us and lets us know that you really do enjoy the show and you're listening to mm. our show. So. Hey, speaking of Brian or, um, we're still trying to track down that, that chassis for him. Um, and just a couple of days, actually, Tom, I haven't even talked to you about this. Uh, just maybe it was yesterday, uh, whatever. Um, uh, some friends of mine over in New Hampshire tracked down a Brian Hoare car, but it's not the one that we thought it was. It was his 2007 car from his return to ACT. But we're still looking for that, uh, that old left-hander from 1992 that raced through 2000 that went to Chick Henry at some point over in Canaan. So if anybody knows, just let us know. Yep. And uh, I don't know. Do we, uh, does Uncommon Media get a little piece of something if we. I hope so. Like a bounty hunter. Or maybe they'll give us, they'll cut off a frame rail and give it to us or something. I don't know. That is, uh, that is not something my wife would be happy with me bringing home. Not what we had in mind. Okay. Though we did come home with something. And then you'll hear about that on next week's episode oh, from a, from a, for next week's episode, we recorded in person with our guest, our first in-person yeah. recording. It was very exciting and we were very safe about it. Social distanced and all of that stuff during the interview. Mm-hmm. But we ended up leaving with a souvenir that blew our minds and we wish that we had our own podcast studio. So we could put it up, some, but it's going to, uh, for now it's living at Justin's house. Well, we'll, we'll have pictures too. Once we make the announcement on Monday, who the guest is, you'll find out. And, uh, we got some great pictures, um, that, yeah, I, I think I can speak for you on this that we're going to hold on to forever. Um, yeah, that was just, it was cool very day. cool. Yeah. And I think you guys are going to be super, super excited about next week's guest. And it's one of those where I'm really bummed out that we've done our schedule the way it is and we can't give it away because I want to give it away now. (laughs) Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But uh, tune in on Monday night for that. There are pictures to follow, like Justin said. and Yeah. I think it'll be our first ever pictures (laughs) that we put up that involve you and I. It's true. Well, no, we did post that picture of us diaper shopping. Yeah. On our way to Loudoun. Yeah. At uh, BJ's. DJs Lebanon. Yep. Yep. All right. As for this episode drawing to its conclusion, remember to subscribe, leave a five star review if you can. And people have been doing that and we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, follow us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on the Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. And that's about it. Yeah. You know what? Another let's let's reach out. Let's get a little fan. Let's see what they think, Justin. 
and you have no idea what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Justin and I, part of this, as as we are continuing to hopefully get sponsorship and create some income out of this, we have officially started our business, Uncommon Media, LLC. Um, We'll be filing taxes. Yeah. (laughs) And we took a road trip the other day to do our interview yeah, we and we were kind of just spitballing and kind of came up with an idea of a potential, the first little leg off of our podcast is doing a street stock podcast. Oh, man. Not with us. Probably start out maybe once a month with Al Maynard where he the can professor. Yeah. We'll set it up. We'll get everything set up for him where he can talk to a different street stock legend, if you will, every month. And we got kind of excited about the idea. And it gives us a chance to kind of dip our toe in creating in different aspects. So uh, let us know what you think of that idea. I love it. And Al... I, when we were on the drive, you and I were talking about it. We talked about it for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to message him. And I messaged him and he was like, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> like zero seconds. Yep. So we're all on board, but we want to know what you fans think. It's, and really think about this because think about the legends of the street stock division. And, and it's going to be some good stuff. Yeah. We'll see if Justin makes the cut. Uh, I won't. <laughs> so reach out to us. Send us some messages. Send Al some messages. Send Al some messages. And uh, let us know what you think. But as for episode number nine, it has drawn to its conclusion. You, my friends, have been listening to Uncommon Deeds.